Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm right there. We're, we're, we're going to get started. Welcome to the Interloop Radio. I'm Rachel Kuntz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org. For any new listeners out there here on The Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. We invite local writers and friends on the show to talk about their writing journey, what inspires them, or to delve deeper into craft. On today's show, we want to talk about being inspired by mythology and surrealism. I love this topic. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe mythology more than surrealism because they're kind of very separate in my head, even though they... Maybe I feel like be. they're pretty similar. Like when yeah, I was for sure. There's thinking about this episode, I was like, oh, these are actually like right in line with each other. All right. Because it's like using Tell sort of illogical things to describe like. Well, and also like that, the idea of allegory, right? right. And that comes into play with surrealism a lot. Although like I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to like magical realism, surrealism, mythology, and like, what is the Venn diagram of those? Like, I feel like there is a Venn diagram and there's like a little section where they all overlap. Yeah, 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 totally. I'm also having a hard time like parsing it apart in my brain of like visual and literary arts in those sections. Um, But I think that, you know, I mean, we talk about like how art influences writing all the time. Totally. I think that, yeah, those surrealist artists and visual art is, you know, very, has like the same feels, gives the same feels as <laughs> like the magical realism or the the kind of um, writing that, that, yeah, makes you feel like you're in the world, but then suddenly not in the world. And that juxtaposition of the two is what is like really disturbing. The tension. Whereas like a totally fantastical novel, like is- You're along for the ride. Yeah. You're like, you're like crazy whatever. and I'm We're here. Doing whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. magical realism is like, you know, uh, kind of like a bait and switch where it's like, yeah, you think this is real. And then something crazy and happens. And your mind's like trying to rewire itself. And I feel like that when I'm looking at surrealist art. Okay. It's like, I'm trying to rewire what I'm looking at and make it make sense. But it doesn't make sense. And then the process of doing that is like where the art, where the, where art the comes meaning in. is. I really like that. Okay. So I hadn't looked at it <laughs> that way. No, really, because so I'm picturing like I'm lumping like, you know, think of like a, you know, surrealist painting in with like dada writing and Mm. that's where my brain is going Mm. so i'm like to me it's like not accessible where the magical realism makes it like weirdly more accessible yeah yeah so i like that description of the like transformation that happens with the painting as opposed to the like actual alignment of like dada-esque writing that's like yes 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 
yes, no, mm, yes. Like that's like <laughs> like that's what you would see on the page, right? Um, so oh, yeah, no, cool. Yeah. yeah, and I was thinking about like um, sort of all writing that kind of skips logic. Like I was kind of thinking about this whole thing in like the great books context because I studied the great books of Western civilization, yes, and mm, I'm putting yes, that in quite. quotes. Everyone who's who's listening, quite. I'm mm. doing air quotes because it sounds the so sno- snooty. Um, but uh, so much of that was classical yeah. stuff, and uh, the Greeks and the Romans, and you know, and and mythology is interlaced in all of that. It's mm-hmm. interlaced. In all of our lives, like think of how many things are named after Greek gods, exactly Roman gods. Yeah. It's like everywhere all the time, and we don't even register it until we are like crying. But um, anyway, I was thinking about my classical education mm-hmm. and all of the people who subscribe to like pure logic, because we studied philosophy. So right, you know, all of the young students who were like, "Well, it's logic, and logic <laughs> is king, yeah, and yeah, logic yeah, yeah. is the only thing that matters." And, you know, time and time again, even back then, and I think as people get older, you start to realize, like, logic leaves something out of the picture in some way. It's not enough. There are inexplicables. There are inexplicable things. There are things that can't be articulated or explained, especially in the human condition. Um, And so I was thinking about writing and art and, you know, how we kind of get around logic in some ways in order to try to articulate the human experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, juxtaposing images mm-hmm. and not saying how they're related, just putting just them, putting next them together. there. And say, you figured this one out. And yeah, and just the experience of it yeah. creates meaning. Yeah. And you don't have to That's it. make you the logical there. connection. Exactly. Just mic drop. Yeah, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's true. I mean, that's it's funny. I am not at all I, I am not math minded, but I think about that part of it is to me, the inaccessibility of the philosophy of mathematics, which is right. one of those things, it's like beautifully magical. Like I was going to say, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah totally. trying so hard to tap into those like things that logic cannot explain. Touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, I feel like I'm going to stop us while we're taking while a breath. We're like on our, <laughs> like our journey here we today. We can go on and on and on. And I want to get our next guest in so that she can geek out with us. Amazing. Um, so coming up, we will bring in a poet who's also inspired by surrealism and mythology um, to join the conversation. So stay tuned. Let's gather. <laughs> Gather, um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're gonna get started. We're gonna get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. I'm not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been discussing mythology and surrealism, and now we'd like to welcome Laura Robinson, author of the poetry collection An Essential Melancholy from Akinoga Press and our May Authors Corner Spotlight. Welcome, Laura. Woohoo! Thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's so great to have you on the show, and I'm so happy that you uh, inspired us to talk about this yeah. topic because you heard us geeking out uh, a minute ago. <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to bring you in and let you. Uh, join in on the geek dumb. Um, so Absolutely. tell us what's your what's your favorite myth? Let's Ooh, start there. That's wow. like hot takes right hot off takes. the bat. 
geeking is <laughs> geeking out is my love language, so this is perfect. Um, I've always really been drawn to the Persephone myth, um, mm. especially in <laughs> us too, clearly. In, yeah, clearly. Um, but in um, you know, I recently there's been like a retelling of it. Um, I don't know if either of you have heard of Lore Olympus. It's a webtoon series. No. Um, and it's a like a visual retelling of the Persephone myth and it's it's amazing and it's great and I highly recommend um, but that really I I found it when I had first started writing this collection um, and it just reminded me of how much I loved mythology um, and the the primary characters are, are both women um, which yeah. is, doesn't always happen in Greek myths so Amazing. I can tell so, you that I did a retelling of the Persephone myth in the sixth grade when I had to write a book about mythology. So oh I'm with gosh. you on that one. I love that. <laughs> Those pomegranate seeds, man. <laughs> right? I literally have, yeah, yeah. It's it's the pomegranates. Yeah. It's the pomegranate. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. What about your favorite surrealist artist? Do you have one? Oh. Or maybe a specific um, thing? Oh. I really, oh, this is going to be sound like such a red flag, but I love Francis Bacon. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking psycho. Yeah. Pardon. So crazy. Like, in such a good way. Yeah, yeah. Like the best kind of psychotic, like yeah. red flag behavior. Um, there's just so much <laughs> violence and like reconciling with identity in his work yeah. um, that I think is... Um, I don't, to me, he's so much different from the other surrealists because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's I, I don't know. I just he's well, that's a perfect weird. segue into my next question. Yeah, um, <laughs> I meant to mention earlier, but I was, uh, you know, when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about myths and all the myths and how just violent and misogynistic they are. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I love them, there's always that aspect of them when you go back to and mm -hmm. read them, and you're like, um, you know, Ugh. I don't know, how, <laughs> yeah, what to do with this. Um, yeah. So I I was reading some of your poems and you know and I, with this in mind thinking about how do you, how do we like sort of navigate this misogyny when we're like reflecting back on on myths and in your poem the siren sings of the hanged maidens um, I I noticed that the narrator of the poem really like leans into the violence mm. but still the poem seems like felt to me like overwhelmingly feminine mm. so I just wondered you know, how do you navigate misogyny when you're like feeling inspired by myths and how do you sort of bring out the feminine in it? Sure. That's a really good question. Um, so one thing I, I love that's going on in literature and writing right now are um, female translators of these old myths and epic mm -hmm. poems. Mm -hmm. um, so actually one thing that really inspired that particular piece, um, it's, uh, the title and some of the lines um, came from uh, Emily Wilson was the first woman to translate the Odyssey into English. Mm. Um, and she really took on a lot of the female characters roles and made them stronger and more feminist. Mm -hmm. um, and they became less like victims or like the like toxic women that they loved. Right. The witches, um, the terrorists, the. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or just, you know, the, the hanged maiden type, the sacrificial right. lamb, or mm. the conduit for um, a, a man's desire for power right. or control. Totally. Um, so, I, yeah, and I really gravitated towards that. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, wrapping it up with art. Um, have you've heard of, um, or you know, heard of, you've seen uh, the painting Judith 
killing Holofernes. Yeah, um, right. So um, the like the most famous uh, uh, interpretation of that myth is painted by Caravaggio. Mm-hmm. But my favorite painting is by a an Italian painter. Her name was Art. Artemisia, Artemisia Gentileschi. Gentileschi, yes, yes. yes. And I love I'm here for that. you. Wow, right, exactly. <laughs> yes, amazing. Uh, forever and ever. But she, um, to reconcile with her own um, experiences with assault and not getting justice, mm-hmm. um, she inserted herself into that and did not flinch from the violence and really reclaimed her narrative and her power through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I just I. I love that so much. And I, um, I don't think violence is inherently masculine or misogynistic. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, and I think if you really, if you've been a victim of violence and you distance yourself from it in that way, I think you're really, you're really selling yourself short in your healing process. Um, Mm. because you have to understand that this is something that you experienced. And also um, there's a cycle of violence. And mm-hmm. if you don't acknowledge that you've been sucked into that cycle, it's going to keep perpetuating. Um, and ultimately that was a decision an agreement I made with myself in this collection was I was not going to spare any of the uncomfortable or ugly emotions that I felt during that time, because mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to be as genuine and authentic to, you know, my experience as possible. So and that takes that's your courage. Question. I mean that yeah, no. Yeah. But I mean that takes that takes a lot of not just courage, but um and self-reflection and all of that, but like you've got to stand up to yourself. I love the way you said that. You're like I said to myself like I was not going to yeah. hold back. Yeah. yeah. So do you mind uh reading the poem so we can hear? Absolutely. I haven't read this one at a reading in a while, so. <clears throat> The siren sings of the hanged maidens. Four-leafed, blue-eyed, reptilian-brained, the snake in his mouth. He would call her echo, torn in half by a beautiful boy, scorned and reduced to the emptying air. He would call her Daphne, chased into earthly translation, consecrated and burnt, bowed into laurels for the victor and his spoils. He would call her Pasiphae, Horned and bullheaded, bending over for the beast in the construct of Poseidon's curse, a polluted lover and a child, too carnivorous to lullaby, to nurse, to name. But I am mother to no monster. Oh no, no. No mortal hubris, no aperture for wrath or subjugation. I am dark mirror, familial tapestry of cowering fauna and hanged maidens. I am silk noose, slit throat, silver peel of memory. I am goddess spoken, a dangerous truth, haunting his odyssey home, wailing till he runs aground. I liked that line about the carnivorous, like carnivorous. Mm -hmm. It just reminds me of the mother-daughter relationship and how it's so like loving, but it's also kind of violent. Yeah, and that um that comes from the the myth of the Minotaur, where mm-hmm. Pasiphae um you know is the the conduit for Poseidon and right. King Minos's beef. Yeah, just a toy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in their just, in their yeah. pawn in their game, literally. Yeah, right, literally. Uh, yeah, and her body, you know, just her autonomy is stripped away for you know men who get mad at each other. 
So tell us more about uh, An Essential Melancholy and kind of how the collection came together. Was there like a unifying theme? Uh, when did you sort of recognize it? And, and, you know, what else kind of inspired the collection? Did you set out to write a book about like mythology or a mythological book? Does that, or a collection, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That um, was many no, questions no. in one. I'm sorry. <laughs> she really <laughs> simplified. <laughs> um, no, I, um, you know, I started writing this book in early 2019 when I had moved back to Maryland from Colorado. Um, and I hadn't written for like five years at that point. So I just started writing what I had been reading at the time, which was mm. a lot of Greek mythology. Um, and I found like a strange comfort in that with, you know, the things that I just experienced. So, um, and I think I benefited from that time away from it because, um, I kind of lost all of like the self doubt that I built up with my writing and, um, expectations I had for what I needed to sound like or how I needed to write. Um, and I, f and that it just kind of came out of me. Um, and I, I didn't really set out to write this book. I set out to write because I felt like I had to um, mm. for like self-care and self-preservation and um, just the, the transformative power of writing, of turning mm -hmm. experiences that um, are otherwise really toxic to you into a separate entity that can't mm -hmm. hurt you anymore and maybe mm. even help somebody else. Um, uh, and, you know, once I started writing more and more is when I thought like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this could be a book. I have no idea. Um, I just kind of stumbled back into writing. So, um, I didn't really think about it. And I think that that really helped me at least be able to lay out a, a general premise of what it was going to be about. Um, and then I, I just, um, I'm a night owl. So I, I spend a lot of time up, um, watching, some crazy things on YouTube or HBO Max <laughs> or something, or um, just like I I could show you if I could find it, like lists I've like pages and pages of notes I've taken off of like just sites about like religion and different mm -hmm. like forms of like Lucifer and different religions mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. um so I don't it's it's all I'm I'm kind of rambling now it's all really fascinating to me um and that's. I just wrote about things that I've always liked and it worked for me. So I don't have a deeper answer than that, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why don't you read us a couple more examples? Okay. Um, I will read Demeter kills Persephone. Oh, sad. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> I fed her the jeweled seeds, watched her pale hands crumble and skim the stalks of wheat behind my eyes. Heard her scream my own scream while she dragged me to the river. The sticks ran red and red and red, impossibly saturated, wrinkling dark, blooming ruby tracks of hellbore, canna, spider lilies. I used to pluck her petals from my own tributaries, wait for spring before I'd stop again. Summer shuddered early that year. The god king harvested my body, Banished my daughter to the bed of his brother in hell. I shucked the corn silk of my head for something red, red, red. Mm. <laughs> could do another one. Um, so this is not mythologically based. Um, it's called Delirious Character, Tangible Reality. Um, and I wrote this after um, this 
super unhinged dolly sculpture i saw in 2019 mm. at the denver art museum it was weirdly part of the dior exhibit Interesting. Um, right i you know, it was like at the very front of it too i was like i don't know what what mm-hmm. statement we're making with this um <laughs> but the, it's called retrospective bust of a woman and it's um it's and everybody listeners who don't know what this is look it up it's really strange it's this woman who has like a crown of bread on her head and she's wearing corn and she's got ants in her face and the the premise is that um dolly the famous uh, feminist uh mm-hmm. said that women were created for consumption and that was mm-hmm. what he was saying with that that uh the bust um and i found that interesting so uh this is delirious character tangible reality and it opens with an epigraph. In 1931, Dali described surrealist sculpture as created wholly for the purpose of materializing in a fetishistic way with maximum tangible reality, ideas and fantasies of a delirious character. Hmm. When you sleep, your breath whistles like a blade, grass between thumbs, taut and dry. The mound of your cheek, ant stippled and crumb frantic, when you dream, you are collared with corn stalks, limp as your severed tongue. A crown of bread devalances, balances devout expectation with the promise of flame, matrimony, and hot lead. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You were created for consumption, ground down and kneaded, or pitched loose to the cold barn. Part your lips, here it is, the trough, the first act gun. Spread your legs, here it is, crushing void, your way out. Really, what's another mouth to feed? Laura, <clears throat> that is so loaded. I'm like, feel like, I feel like I'm like, <laughs> like you know, like just like, <gasps> um, but, but the imagery there is like so captivating. Like that, yeah. from the first line, that idea, the whistle in your sleep as a knife, like that, I was just like, oh my God. I think of my partner and the way he snores. And sometimes I'm like, what are these sounds coming out of your body? <laughs> yes. But to yeah. turn that into such an incredibly like arresting image. Oh, just yes. Good. Yes. In all. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my like more dream logic poems mm-hmm. in it. I think it's where I got more experimental with my imagery. Um, but I, I really like the way that it turned out. And I it's experimentally shaped on the page too, which mm, I still don't know mm-hmm. what I'm doing with that form, but it's it's fun. So absolutely. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I think we have time for one more. Awesome. Um ooh, let's see. Um I'm gonna do a short one. It's one of my favorites. It is incredibly short. Um but it, it just leans into that weird imagery and surrealist feel. Lean into the um, weird. We love. love the weird. Lean into here. the weird. We love weird here. <laughs> I am weird. <laughs> it's my personal brand. Um, it's called A Prayer for the Plaster Cloud Cover. Blessed be the scrimshaw of my breastbone, the shivers in my spine, sharks feeding on my marrow. Holy be the turpentine rain thinning the walls, the scythe of his body, warm blade in my bed. Mm. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love how our reactions are just like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 All right. 
right. Well, this has been such an amazing discussion. You can find more about Laura, read more interviews and articles, and buy her poetry collection, An Essential Melancholy, on our website, theinnerlooplit.org slash authors corner. But we can't let Laura go just yet. That's right. Up next, we're going to play a little matching game. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We turn now to a little matching game where Courtney and Laura will have to match a famous surrealist piece with the myth that it represents. I don't know how to That's right, ladies. <laughs> Not only writers are, are inspired by myths, though we're the surrealist painters. Um, so listeners, obviously you cannot see the paintings that I am showing them, but I will describe them for you. And if you're super curious... You can head over to our YouTube page to see them on the video version of this podcast. Oh, look at that. Look at me. I love how you don't ever have to participate in these also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Okay. Rigged. So <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I'm going to pull up. Let me see which one is for. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. Okay. So this is, can, Laura, do you know how to say this person's name by chance? Chirico, maybe? Tell Chirico. Uh, I think that's right. It's, yeah, that's yeah. it. You got Don't it. Oh, you're so smart. I told you I was an art history major. They like rammed that shit into okay, you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I doubted you. All right. I mean, it was go. 20 years ago, but. <laughs> Anybody? Oh, I'm supposed Wait, to describe it. Describe it. Okay, this, yeah. so this shows a woman who's like reclined with her arm over her head, and you can see her breasts, and she has a blanket over the lower half of her body, and in the background, Looks like some kind of tower. This she's in Smoke the shade stack. and the background's in the sun. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. What's going on? Oh yeah. Um she looks stone like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a Medusa. I'm thinking of like a Medusa thing. Yeah. But it seems very not obvious if it is. It's not yeah. Medusa. <laughs> it's not Medusa. Um, is this is Ariadne. <laughs> mm. Cheating Courtney. Yes, here we go. Um, Ariadne is in the foreground of this image uh, of a desolate square rendered by Chirico's uh, distinctive broad forms. And according to the Greek myth, mm. Theseus abandoned his lover Ariadne on the island of Naxos while she slept. Right. Good work, Theseus. Theseus, you jerk. You jerk. <laughs> Is she related to spiders? Am I making that up? That's Arachne. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sounds similar. So we it never does. see why yeah. you went there. All right. Here's, uh, yeah, this one is one of my Ooh. personal favorites. Wow. It's the second one that I sent you, Laura. So mm-hmm. this um, is Dali, and it shows what looks like a figure sort of crouched over the water and then on the right is a hand holding an egg oh narcissus it's narcissus oh, but also yeah. is that atlas in the background holding up the, the world. world 
Maybe it looks like he's staring at his reflection. Though, oh, you're and right. I think you're that right. that's a narcissist flower. Sorry, you're I right. just like shouted that out with you're, zero. No, you're, <laughs> one, you're. I'm with you on this one. So Good work. That's, that's yes. my best guess. Yes, it's narcissus, nice. and actually, that's supposed to be narcissus there, all the way in the background. In the background, the on statue the little, or the, the podium. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's supposed oh. to be like raised up, and then, um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of the way it's transitioning from left to right is yeah. his metamorphosis into the flower okay yeah. good work laura thanks yeah. nice. I, hopefully we continue the streak i don't know right <laughs> this one the, the next one is very mox all right so listeners what we are looking at is like very vegetative there's like a lot of vegetation and it almost looks like what are those blue flowers that grow in clumps what are those like um Bluebell, oh. not bluebells, but the ones that the hydrangeas. Hydrangeas, yeah, they, yeah, they do like kind of look hydrangeas. I was thinking that too. This yeah. is a Max Ernst, but yeah, this is there's a creepy yes, hand Ernst. reaching over. On the yeah, side where's there. that? Where are you looking at the hand down there? Yeah, there is yeah. a hand. In the corner, and then there's and the another corner? one over to the left that's like next to the brick wall. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, look uh-huh. at that. There's some secret hands there. Curse <laughs> out. This one's on really top. hard. Yeah, there's a woman on top. This one, there's an, a like lion ish figure near the woman that she's like trying to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... I feel like it's got to be, it feels like a nymph to me. So maybe like a Daphne or a Lorelei. But uh, in, in Daphne, um, she's literally fleeing Zeus and then she begs to be turned into a tree so he can't find her. Ooh, okay. Um, That's a good guess. But I don't, I don't know. Courtney, any guesses? I've got reveal it? I've gotten nothing. So it's actually uh, Echo. So you were, uh, yeah, you were, you were dead good on with, with the nymph. nymph. Uh-huh. Very good. <laughs> 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 so the d- diminutive nude female figure in the upper right yep. is identified as Echo. Um, and the far more do- dominant monstrous green vegetal creature in the foreground uh, is might be Narcissus, I think, maybe another Narcissus. Yeah. All right. So there you go. All right. We got two more. The next one one. is, I think is going to be a gimme. She says. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. We are looking at a figure on the ground who's like lying on the ground. Almost like he's injured. Yes. There's an arrow through him. Um, and then above him is a boat with some women. Looks like some women. This is Picasso, by the way. Yeah. Um, and the the figure on the ground has horns coming out of his head. Yeah, I mean, is that the Minotaur? I that's the only thing I can think of is the Minotaur. Yes. Yeah. You got it. Okay. Yes. Minotaur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sad. I tried not to make them that hard. <laughs> All right. Here's the last one. Um, his story is very sad too. You never hear his side of things. Who? The Minotaur. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So this is hysterical. This this <laughs> is hysterical. Okay, so this I've never is seen this before. Stachyovic, Ikovic, Ivkovic, Stachyovic. I am Ikovic. No idea. Okay, so what we're looking at is what you think is going to be a face because there's lots there's lots of hair around it. It looks like a neck. But then instead of a face, instead of eyes, there's breasts with nipples. And instead of a nose is a belly button. And instead of a mouth is a vagina with pubic hair. 
It's great. It's really it's fantastic. I just don't know what myth is this. <laughs> what, <laughs> like, is no. it? what is this? It's like so <sighs> weird to look at. This is like the magical realism one where you're like, I'm thinking I'm gonna look at something and then it's, it's one of those like not... shock tests. Like, what do you see? <laughs> what do you yes. see here? <laughs> um uh, Medusa. Because <laughs> it's a head. bad guess. No, that's I mean that, but I don't know. Maybe Venus. Oh, that's like a Aphrodite. Venus smiling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. a good guess that's too. Yeah. So it's actually Balbo, who I had never heard of. Have you? No. Have you heard of neither of you? Okay, no. so Balbo was. Uh, let's see. This picture is drawn as Balbo, who was described when she saw Demeter next to the will. Uh, well, looking for the daughter Persephone. Uh, brings it full circle, Laura. So bringing it full circle. Yes. I was like, one of these is going to have something to do with Persephone. I'm going to be yeah. like, sorry, no idea. Uh, and yes, so I don't know. It has something to do with Demeter and Persephone. Balbo, who's the goddess of fertility, sex, it's and sexuality. It's not known what she told her, told Demeter. Interesting. Yeah, but women see through nipples apparently. Yeah, that's because Just, they react to temperature. Yeah, so. hey. and, and they can hey. tell you when it's raining, right? <laughs> oh, I bet. Um, okay, so this actually does another full circle. So, um, in the retelling that I'm reading right now of the Persephone myth, um, she starts out being told that she's supposed to be like um, an eternal maiden goddess, mm-hmm. so she never, um, she remains a, a virgin. She never right. takes a lover. Um, but it turns out she's actually a fertility goddess. Um, oh. That's how she discovers that well, she's that's the quite the opposite, spring. right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, um, but her mother kept it from her. Um, there's a whole other um. a bunch of stuff that goes into it. But um, I wonder if that's actually more a canonical mm-hmm. thing, and that's what Balbo was telling her mother. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a super fun episode. Enlightening. <laughs> Thank you, Laura, for for coming on the show and of course and having some fun with us. Yeah, yeah thanks for letting me geek out with y'all. <laughs> That's our show. We'll be back next Monday with our very first episode of Just Checking In, where we give our writer friends a call just to see how writing is going. And if you want to learn more about The Inner Loop and all of our programming, including Authors Corner, uh, visit us at theinnerlooplit.org, where you can also, hey, donate to support us and local literature and literati like Laura. <laughs> um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan and our technical advisor is James Skinner. Thanks again to Laura Robinson for joining us on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to paint your feelings. Or better yet, leave us a review where you paint your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Such as, take the beeswax out of your ears and allow the siren songs of Cordy and Rachel to lure you to the Interloop Radio. And don't forget <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe while you're being, you know, lured in. Yes. Subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy writing. Right on. <laughs>